When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Space News Podcast. My name is Will and I want to take a couple seconds to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting this podcast. If you are into space, if you're into technology, go right on over to patreon.com slash space news podcast and help out the show. That's the easiest way to do it. Also, you can just continue listening to the show and subscribe on any one of your podcast platforms that you prefer. Either it's um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, anything that you're into. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. So on today's episode, I'm going to talk about Roscosmos, who uh, it's the Russian uh, space corporation. Uh, they have finally approved a design for their super heavy class launch vehicle, which is pretty freaking super huge. And Saturn's largest moon has something in its atmosphere that's pretty cool. And I'm going to tell you about that. It's some organic molecules, but I'll tell you about that in just a moment. And also, Curiosity Rover measures the gravity of a mountain. How did it do that? Why did it do that? That's coming up pretty freaking soon. But before we get into that, head on over to at Space News Pod on Twitter and Facebook to follow on social. Now, let's go back to Roscosmos, the Russian state space corporation. It approved a design for the Yenisei Super Heavy Class launch vehicle for future lunar missions, meaning going to the moon, and it will use the RD-180 and RD-171 MB engines. And a Russian source said only one version of the super heavy class rocket is being considered now. It has been proposed by the Samara-based Progress Rocket Space Center and comprises six side boosters with RD-171 MB engines and a central core stage powered by an RD-180 engine. Other proposed projects are no longer under consideration. And according to the same source, the discussion is now focused on the choice of the launch scheme. In the first scheme, the RD-180 engine fires in the first few seconds of the flight, then lowers its thrust to 30% of the nominal. In the second scheme, the RD-180 engine starts sometime after the launch of the rocket. Both schemes are designed to save fuel in the central core stage, but the first scheme is considered preferable. Vladimir Putin, Russian president, signed a decree on the creation of this super heavy rocket in early of 2018. The Energia rocket manufacturer, which is part of Roscosmos, has been assigned to the project as the contractor. And in November 2019, the conceptual design of the rocket should be completed. The first launch of the rocket scheduled for 2028 while the carrier itself should be made in 2027. Now, according to the agency, the Russian program of lunar exploration being developed by Roscosmos and the Russian Academy of Sciences 
will cover the period until 2040, and in the long run, Russian scientists plan to mine water ice to extract hydrogen and oxygen, the two fuel components, and build shelters from regolith found on the moon's surface. So fun fact here, uh, the era of lunar exploration was started in 1959 on January 2nd. Space technology was used by the Soviet Union. It's called Luna 1. It's an automatic interplanetary station. This is the first ever spacecraft that's been sent towards the moon. It's also known as Mechta, which is, uh, it translates into dream, D-R-E-A-M. Now, it never made it to the moon due to an incorrectly timed upper stage burn during its launch, and it missed it. It missed the moon. And in the process, it became the first spacecraft to leave geocentric orbit. Now, the RD-180 rocket engine, it extends back to the Soviet Energia launch vehicle project. The RD-170, which is a four-chamber engine, was developed for use on strap-on boosters for this vehicle. And it ultimately was used to lift the Buran orbiter. The engine was scaled down to a two-chamber version by combining the RD-170's combustion devices with half-size turbo machinery. And after some successful performances and engine tests on a test stand and high-level agreements between the U.S. government and the Russian government, the engines were actually imported to the United States for use on the Lockheed Martin Atlas III with the first flight in uh, 2000. And the engine is also used in the United Launch Alliance Atlas V, which is the successor to the Atlas III. So if this technology is good enough for Lockheed Martin and the ULA, I'm assuming it's going to be really good for Roscosmos to send things back to the lunar surface. Now let's rocket our way over to Saturn. Actually, let's go to Saturn's moon Titan. Saturn's largest moon may get its thick atmosphere by cooking organic molecules in a warm core that's what a new study suggests. The decay of radioactive elements may warm Titan's core from within, splitting nitrogen and carbon off from complex organic molecules. And once free, those molecules can recombine into nitrogen and methane molecules and escape into the atmosphere. Now that process may account for about half the nitrogen and all the methane observed in Titan's atmosphere that's what cosmochemist Kelly Miller and her colleagues reported in the Astrophysical Journal. So Titan's ha it has a really thick atmosphere. It's nitrogen rich, it has a haze around it, and it's been a puzzle to planetary science for a long time. So other moons are small and cold and they shroud themselves in gas. Titan's the only moon that has an atmosphere. That's what Miller said. In older studies, previous studies, said that Titan's nitrogen could have been delivered in the ammonia ice of comets. And that ammonia could be split apart by sunlight or broken up by the force of a comet striking the moon's surface, which creates the gaseous nitrogen molecules that fill Titan's skies. Now, do you all remember ESA's Rosetta mission? It orbited a comet, uh, 67P, from 2014 to 2016. And Rosetta showed that the comet was about 25% organic matter by weight uh, much more than the scientists had assumed at that time, and it also contained radioactive elements such as potassium, which decays into argon, 
which is another element found in Titan's atmosphere. Miller said, I still had this conception that comets are mostly ice with a little bit of rock. I was surprised to see that 50% of 67P was rock and organics and only half was ice. And I'm going to get back to the story in a couple seconds, but I just want to remind you that patreon.com slash the space news is where you can directly contribute to the show. And if you like the show so far, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you can catch the next episode, which will be tomorrow. I do these every single day. Let's get back to Titan. And in a new study, Miller and her colleagues figured that comets were likely building blocks for Saturn's moons. Uh, since the Saturn system is so cold and the researchers assumed that Titan's core was originally a sort of snowball built for comets. And given the insights from 67P, the team calculated what ingredients Titan would have started out with and how those ingredients could change over time. So since Titan bakes organics in its core, it raises hopes that there's a possibility of life on that moon. That's what Alexander Hayes of Cornell said. Funny thing, I live pretty close to Cornell. I've been to Cornell a bunch of times. I've been to Carl Sagan's grave. Cornell's pretty awesome. That's a little side note. Titan's thick atmosphere plus a subsurface ocean, which is a hydrologic system of hydrocarbon lakes, rivers, and rain, and a veneer of organic compounds and other life-friendly molecules make the moon a popular target for the search for alien life microbe life and other little life swimming through those giant lakes and oceans in the subsurface. Now, so far, they've only detected organics on Titan's surface. There's been hints that compounds may exist in the core, and that means that the molecules may also exist at the bottom of these oceans, the subsurface oceans, which is an environment that's a really good place for life. As we know from studying Earth's oceans, there's life everywhere, including the very, very bottom, where you wouldn't expect life to be. It'll be very interesting in the next couple years what kind of science comes out of this. Now let's move forward to Mars. And there's a Mars buggy, the Curiosity rover, has measured a mountain's gravity. In a new paper in Science, the researchers that have been part of this buggy, have been part of this mission, have... Uh, repurposed sensors used to drive the Curiosity rover and turn them into gravimeters, which measures changes in gravitational pull. And that enabled them to measure the subtle tug from rock layers on lower Mount Sharp, which rises three miles or five kilometers from the base of Gale Crater, which Curiosity has been climbing since 2014. And it turns out the density of those rock layers is much lower than expected. So you have a smart device, right? You have a cell phone in your hand. And in that cell phone, that smartphone, Curiosity has something similar. It has accelerometers and it has gyroscopes. And moving smartphones allows uh, these sensors to determine its location and which way it's facing. Curiosity sensors do the same thing, but with far more precision than your phone which plays a crucial role in navigating the Martian surface on each one of its drives. And knowing the rover's orientation also lets engineers accurately pinpoint its instruments and multi-directional high-gain antenna. The rover's accelerometers can be used like old technology from Apollo 17. Uh, that technology is called Gravimeter, and Curiosity's accelerometers detect the gravity of the planet whenever the rover stands still. 
And using engineering data from the first five years in the mission, the paper's authors measured the gravitational tug of the Mars rover Curiosity. Lead author of the paper, Kevin Lewis of John Hopkins University said, the lower levels of Mount Sharp are surprisingly porous. We know the bottom layers of the mountain were buried over time. That compacts them, making them denser. But this finding suggests they weren't buried by as much material as we thought. So Apollo 7 astronauts, they drove their buggy across the moon's Taurus Litro Valley, periodically stopping to capture 25 measurements. Lewis studied Martian gravity fields using data collected by NASA's orbiters, and was familiar with Apollo 17's gravimeter. The science paper uses over 700 measurements from Curiosity's accelerometers, and those were taken between October 2012 and June 2017. Uh, this data was calibrated to filter out noise, such as the effects of temperature and the tilt of the rover during its climb, and the calculations were then compared to models of Mars gravity fields to ensure its accuracy. The results were also compared to mineral density estimates from Curiosity's chemistry and mineralogy instrument, which characterizes the crystalline materials in rock samples by using an X-ray beam. And that data helped inform how porous the rocks certainly are. Mount Sharp is huge, and scientists still aren't sure how the mountain grew inside of Gale Crater. One theory is that the crater was once filled with sediment. How much of it was filled remains a source of debate, but the thinking is that many millions of years of wind and erosion eventually excavated the mountain. And if the crater had been filmed to the brim, all that material should have pressed down or compacted to many layers of fine-grained sediment behind it, or uh, beneath it, sorry. But the new paper suggests that Mount Sharp's lower layers have been compacted by only half mile to a mile, one to two kilometers-ish, uh, much less than if the crater had been completely filled. And Lewis has said that Mars holds plenty of mystery beyond Mount Sharp. Its landscape is like Earth's, but sculpted more by wind and blowing sand than by water. Lewis also said that Mars is the uncanny valley of Earth, meaning that they're similar enough in some instances, but they're completely different at the same time. They're, they're pretty close. So that's it for the Space News Podcast for today, my friends. I want to say thank you to everybody who's subscribed to the pod. Anybody in this episode, if you hit that subscribe button, thank you so much. If you went to the Patreon, checked it out, thank you so much. If you went to spacenewspodcast.com, thank you. If you've been to our socials at Space News Pod, I really appreciate all of you guys' support. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't say it enough. And... For the Space News Podcast, my name is Will, and I will see you soon.